Good evening and welcome to our weekly Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Job chapter 15. We're starting to read at verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise man answer with empty notions, or fill his belly with hot east wind? Would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adapt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What insights do you have that we do not have? The grey-haired and aged are on our side, men even older than your father. Are God's, cons are God's consolations not enough for you? Words spoken gently to you? Why has your heart carried you away? And why do your eyes flash? So that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth. What is man that he could be pure or one born of woman that he could be righteous? If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is vile and corrupt, who drinks up evil like water. Listen to me, and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen, what wise men have declared, hiding nothing received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given when no alien passed among them. All his days the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless through all the years stored up for him, terrifying sounds fill his ears. When all seems well, marauders attack him. He despairs of escaping the darkness. He is marred, marked from the he is marked for the sword. He wanders about. Food for vultures. He knows the day of darkness is at hand distress and anguish fill him with terror they overwhelm him like a king poised to attack because he shakes his fist at god and vaunts himself against the almighty defiantly charging against him with a thick strong shield though his face is covered with fat and his waist bulges with flesh, he will inhabit ruined towns and houses where no one lives, houses crumbling to rubble. He will no longer be rich, and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the land. He will not escape the darkness. A flame will wither his shoots, and the breath of God's mouth will carry him away. Let him not deceive himself by trusting what is worthless. For he will get nothing in return. Before his time he will be paid in full. And his branches will not flourish. He will be like vine stripped of its unripened grapes. Like an olive tree shredding its blossom. 
for the company of the godless will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. They can they conceive troubles and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. Let's just pray before we have a look at that passage. Our Father, we do thank you again for your word, and we know that these passages are difficult passages, but we ask that by the power of your Spirit you will open them up to us, that we might understand what is being said here, and that we might use it to our blessing and to your glory. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we come to chapter 15, and this is Eliphaz, and he steps forward to speak for the second time. You know, the first round of conversations between Job and his three friends have finished, and instead of bringing comfort to Job, they're becoming confrontational. And as we go into what is round two, we will see how his friends start to become more aggressive. The attitude to Job becomes one of hostility as they become more and more argumentative. So for Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, they're convinced that Job is suffering at the hands of God because of some hidden sin that Job has committed. And what's needed is for Job to confess and repent so that God will remove his suffering and bless him. Their goal is to convince Job of his sin so that he will repent. Now we know that Job doesn't agree with their conclusion. He knows that he has been forgiven, so he continues to protest his innocence. And this is much at the annoyance of his three friends. And last week we listened to what Job had to say to his friends before he presented his case personally to God. And we read that in chapter uh, 13 through to 17 from 17 through to 19. Listen carefully to what I say. Let the words ring in your ears. Now that I have, I, now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. In other words, Job has turned around to them and he said, look, don't say a word. I know what you're thinking. You'd think that if I dare to speak to God, he will punish me for my arrogance. But I'm not being arrogant and I'm not being disrespectful. You see, I know that I am innocent. And after Job has spoken to God, Eliphaz steps forward and he will speak in reaction to Job's prayer. So, we come to the first few verses of chapter 15. And what we see here, this is the beginning of the second round. Verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. This is Eliphaz's reaction, as I said, to Job's prayer. And it's one of outrage. He says to Job, You're making a mockery of our beliefs. You belittle our way of worship by coming to God with nothing but hot air and worthless words. 
And apart from that, your groundless ideas about God's justice, they're ridiculous. And listen, Job, your prayer is an offence to God. So all fast goes on in verse 5 and 6. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. You know, when we think about this, this is not far short of Eliphaz saying to Job, listen, mate, I'm going to put you in your place, you arrogant little whippersnapper. You're a sinner, and we all know that God punishes sinners. And he's going to go on, and he's going to say, listen to your own prayer. You know, it sounds to me like you're trying to fool God. What you are saying tells me that you're guilty. And this confirms to me that I am right. And I'm right in what I've been saying to you all along. And I'm right in telling you what you should do. So we come to verse 7 through to, t- through to verse 10. And he's going on here, Eliphaz. He's, he's challenging Job. He's saying, how can you dare to say these things? Verse 7. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? In other words, he's saying, who do you think you are? Are you telling us that you have special access to God? Were you around before our established traditions that are as old as the hills? So they must be right. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10. What do you know that we do not know? What insights do you have that we do not have? The grey-haired and the aged are on our side, men even older than your father. These words of Eliphaz are what we might call today a put-down. Words against Job. Words against Job speaking up and speaking to God. Eliphaz is exercising his superiority. He's pulling rank on Job as he tries to pull Job down and put Job in his place. You know, let's just stop for a moment. Uh, And this is a reminder to us that let's be careful when we have the opportunity to help a suffering friend who is a fellow believer. Let's be careful that we do not treat them in this way with an attitude of superiority thinking that we have all the answers to the problem and that we understand it better than they do causing us to be in reality more concerned about what we think and how we feel when we should be trying to understand what they think and how they feel in other words learn to be more concerned for them than we are for ourselves so let's go on to verse 11 through to 13 in this section Eliphaz is saying to Job you know you're so ungrateful and your words are hurting us your friends verse 11 through to 13 are God's consolations not enough for you Words spoken gently to you? 
Why has your heart carried you away, and why do your eyes flash? So that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth. He's saying, look, we're your friends. We came here and we consoled you with gentle words, words from God. And in return, you vent your anger on us and on God by saying such awful things about God. You know, I wonder if you see the irony here. Eliphaz is speaking to a man, a fellow believer, who is suffering physically, mentally and spiritually, who is looking for answers, who's looking for reassurance and encouragement from his friends. And all he says is, Job, can't you see how your foolish words are upsetting us? All they seem to want is justification for what are their wrong assumptions when they should be joining with Job in his journey as they travel together seeking answers. Back to Job, verse 14 through to 19. You know, this, this is showing us that Eliphaz believes that he is right. And the question is, is he right? 14 through to 16. What are mortals that they should be pure, or those born of woman that they could be righteous? If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt, who drink up evil like water. You know, these words might be true, but they don't apply to Job in his situation. However, this, this is an interesting comment from Eliphaz as he criticizes Job's apparent audacity to approach God with a hope of acceptance. He's going to go on to tell Job why he thinks that he, Eliphaz, is right and that Job is out of order. He's out of order to approach God with such an expectation. But you see, the truth is Job's expectation is based on what he knows. He knows in his heart that he is innocent. He knows that he doesn't. it doesn't seem fair to him that God should let him suffer like this. But God has not answered the question, why is this happening? Job's prayer is a prayer in the hope. And that hope he has in God. Job's prayer, in all honesty, was a bunch of garbled words. Certainly to the so-called wise, godly men who are Job's friends. But to God, they were the beautiful words of a faithful child reaching out to him in pain. This is a reminder of the misunderstanding of the words of Jesus as he cried out as God's faithful son. In Matthew 27 verse 46, and this was when he was on the cross, 
About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamach sabbatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, we also have the response from the so-called godly wise men who heard him speak these words. Matthew tells us in the following verse, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. You know, they didn't understand what was happening on the cross. They didn't understand the words that Jesus was saying to his father. So back to Eliphaz with this thought. Eliphaz, the so-called wise person who has heard Job's prayer. Verse 17 through to 19. Eliphaz is still speaking. Listen to me and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen. What the wise have declared, hiding nothing received from our ancestors to whom alone the land was given when no foreigners moved among us. You know, we have to just think back of what we know already from the book of Job. And it could be that Eliphaz here is referring to the dream that he spoke about in Job chapter 4. He said this in verse 12, A word was secretly brought to me, my ears caught a whisper of it. And then he continues, I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth? You know, God does answer people in different ways. And as you go through the Old Testament, he will speak to people through prayers and through dreams. But we have to ask the question, who brought this dream to Eliphaz? You know, the truth is that God has more trust in the faithfulness of Job than he does in some of those in the heavens. As we've seen from chapter 1, the confrontation between God and Satan. And we see there that Job is described as a man who is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. That's in Job chapter 1 verse 8. So let's go back to chapter 15. Let's look at verse 20 through to verse 30. Eliphaz in this passage does not mention Job by name. But it's clear that he's referring to him. And these words of Eliphaz must be so hurtful to Job. Because Job knows that they do not apply to him. But hearing these words from Eliphaz, will they cause him to doubt? And will it cause him to weaken his faith? As we read through this passage I, I want us to put ourselves in Job's shoes imagine you Job stand in his shoes you're hearing these words as Job hears these words and I can see Job sinking even deeper into his sorrow as he hears them saying to himself and saying at the end 
almost of each sentence that falls from the lips of Eliphaz. This is me. Let's just go through them with that in mind. And I'll try and just give a thought of how Job might be feeling as he hears these words. Verse 20. All his days the wicked man suffers torment, the ruthless man through all years stored up for him. Job is probably thinking, is this me? Eliphaz goes on, terrifying sounds fill his ears when all seems well, marauders attack him. And Job's thinking, that was me. Then Eliphaz in verse 22, he despairs of escaping the realm of darkness, he is marked for the sword. And Job's probably thinking, yeah, this, this is where I am, this is me. Verse 20. Eliphaz goes on speaking about this so-called nameless person. He wanders about for food like a vulture. He knows the days of darkness is at hand. Job will be thinking, yes, I do. I know this. Verse 24. Distress and anguish fill him with terror. Troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack. And Job's thinking, yeah, yes. That's exactly how I feel. I'm afraid. There's something just there that's going to get worse. Now fast goes on as he speaks. Because he shakes his fist at God and vaunts himself against the Almighty. And Job is probably thinking, is that what I was doing when I prayed? And now fast goes on, defiantly charging against him with a thick, strong shield. And Job will be thinking, no, that's not how it was. That's not how I approached God. But Eliphaz goes on. Though his face is covered with fat and his waist bulges with flesh. And Job will now hear these words and he might be thinking, was I selfish in my days of blessing? Have I been a selfish person in my days of prosperity he'd be searching his mind to think of things that happened then when things were so good and then Eliphaz comes in again as he continues he will inhabit ruined towns and houses where no one lives houses crumbling to rubble and Job is thinking yeah this is me this is me now this is where I am verse 29 he will no longer be rich and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the land. And Job sinking deeper into himself, probably on his knees by now, thinking, this is me. And then verse 30, he will not escape the darkness, a flame will wither his shoots, and the breath of God's mouth will carry him away. And Job will be thinking, is this me? Is this what will happen to me? This nameless person is who Eliphaz thinks Job is. And these words are directed towards Job, even if at the point of speaking to him, he's not looking at him. So with this in mind, Eliphaz is going to go on and he's going to give his advice to Job. And we see this in verse 20 through to 30. And his advice is a warning to Job. Verse 31, let him not deceive himself by trusting what is worthless. For he will get nothing in return. 
Before his time, he will wither and his branches will not flourish. He will be like a vine stripped of its unripe grapes, like an olive tree shedding its blossoms. For the company of the godless will be barren. And fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. They conceive troubles and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. In other words, what Eliphaz is saying in all of this as he refers to, to, to Job without mentioning his name. He's saying, Job, you are deceiving yourself. Man up, face the truth. God has deserted you. You're a hypocrite. You've bribed your way into posterity. You create trouble. And these things that you are suffering now are of your own doing. And this is how Eliphaz sees Job. There's the question. But is Eliphaz right? Just as we draw to a close, I want you to sort of think about this. I've asked you to imagine that you were Job hearing all this. Now I want you to imagine that you have an opportunity to say something to Job. Now we are in a better position because we know all the facts, or most of the facts. But would you say this to Job? Come on, Job. Stand up. Take another look at yourself. Don't listen to these words of Eliphaz. You know that God loves you. You know that you have been forgiven. Yes, you are a sinner, but you're a sinner saved by the grace of God. And keep hold of that. Don't doubt your acceptance. Don't doubt your salvation. Job, this is not you that that man has been speaking about. You are suffering, but you're not evil. You're not a hypocrite. You're not shaking your fist at God. You are pleading with him. You want to be right with God. You are looking for reconciliation. You've told us that in your prayer. You don't claim to understand him. But your prayer tells us that you do trust him. Job, you're not deceiving yourself. You are desperately trying to face the truth. Your trust is not in worthless things. Your trust is in the worthiness of God. And you know that. And you also know that you're not godless. God is with you every step of the way and he will be there for you at the end. You don't create trouble. You bear the burden of trouble that you have been called to carry. Job, you're being completely misunderstood. But you know what, Job? You're helping us to understand about how people misunderstood why Jesus suffered. You know, the world doesn't understand that Jesus had to suffer. That he had to suffer so that we could be redeemed. And you say to Job, Job, you're right. You are right to look for resurrection. You're right to see the need of a mediator. You're right to know that your position before God, your salvation is not earned by piety. That is a belief and trust in tradition. 
it is given to you by God's grace. So as we close, here's a couple of verses for us to take away with us that we can think about. It's from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. This is Paul speaking about Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We also know why. So we go to Romans 5 and again Paul's words in verse 6 and 8. You see it just at the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The suffering of Jesus is what we might term redemptive suffering, a suffering that can bring sufficient atonement for your sins and my sins. And he's the only one who can do that. So we can take these verses away with us and rejoice in them. And what should we say to Job as we leave him this evening? I'd say this to him. Job, stand firm in your faith. And as your so-called friends close ranks against you, Job, your hope will increase. And you know, we're going to see that. We're going to see that as we go through, particularly in chapter 16 and through into chapter 19. In the meantime, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this lesson that we've learned this evening from Job, that we can apply to ourselves, that we can apply to others who are in need, who are suffering, who are looking for answers. And our Father, we just pray that we might have your wisdom and that we might use your wisdom and not man's wisdom as we to seek to, in some cases, deal with suffering eternally that we might be called to suffer and also that we might be able to share something of you with those who we might be called to help as they suffer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.